0: You are listening to History Man, a project of ekbarnes.com, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are very excited to have Aaron Kepley from the Rowan Museum in Salisbury, North Carolina. Uh, He is the executive director. He has been gracious enough to sit down with us and tell us uh, a little bit about the history of Rowan County and Salisbury, North Carolina. So welcome, Aaron.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: We know that our listeners will enjoy what you have to say, Rowan rowan county is instrumental in the founding of this country you know you will find very little of that in the history books because the incidents that happened in the north kind of overshadow a lot of what was happening here in the south so we we look forward to hearing about rowan and and the part that they played in the uh in the liberty of our country before we start we want to acknowledge a couple of our partners in this podcast the long gone llc in Camden, South Carolina, specializes in historic tours in the oldest continuous inland city of South Carolina. You can find them on Facebook at Long Gone LLC. We also want to recognize the cultural and heritage museums of York County, South Carolina, including the Southern Revolutionary War Institute. And of course, our friends at southerncampaign1780.org. So Aaron, tell us a little bit uh, about your background, a little bit about the history of this museum and uh, before we walk right into the, the bulk of your, your talk here today. All
1: right. Well, as the museum's older than I am, uh, I'll start with that. Uh, the Rowan Museum was founded in, uh, in the bicentennial year of Rowan County, which was 1953. This county was created in 1753. So the bicentennial was 1953. And when all the citizens were coming together and thinking about looking back on the history and celebrating that bicentennial, they decided, hey, we need a museum. So they banded together created a museum, we've been a nonprofit since 1955, and we operate uh, the 1766 Old Stone House and a Federalist period a house that was built around 1815 called the Utsman Chambers House. Uh, this museum that we're currently sitting in, which is the 1856 Courthouse, the third courthouse of Rowan County, and also the 1908 China Grove Roller Mill.
0: When you walk into the museum here, you're actually... Uh I guess on the ground floor of the courthouse, but you have different periods of time uh, from this community, including uh, a gold mine uh, exhibit. What, what's the significance of that gold mine exhibit?
1: Well, uh, many of your listeners probably know that gold was first found in Cabarrus County, North Carolina, by uh, John Reed on his farm there. And uh, some of Reed's son-in-laws actually came into Rowan County looking for gold in the 1840s when there was a big court case that shut everything down at Reed Gold Mine. And they found a lot of gold here. Gold Hill, North Carolina, which is now a stop, uh, not even a stoplight. We've got two caution lights, I believe. Um, it was the biggest gold mine in the United States up until California usurped it around 1851-52. Uh, more gold was coming out of Gold Hill than anywhere else. And it was a booming town. The mayor of Charlotte actually went there and said he hoped one day that Charlotte would be as big as Gold Hill.
0: What is the significance of the um, the Spanish conquistadors that I see in on exhibit here?
1: That one would probably be a whole different episode. Uh, actually, for your, your York County people, uh, this probably applies to them as well. Uh, we did not have DeSoto come through here like what York County probably would have, but we did have Juan Pardo come here, and there was a Spanish fort and church built here, in uh 1567 and 1568.
0: Well tell us a little bit about the Revolutionary War period.
1: Well Salisbury and Rowan County is located kind of right in the middle of the state. We we are a little bit to the west we're not true right in the middle but for our purposes we're the middle of everywhere and being in North Carolina too it's almost kind of halfway in between you know the north and the south of the eastern seaboard so we are our area was primarily settled by people coming down from Pennsylvania, down the Great Wagon Road during the seventeen late seventeen forties, seventeen fifties, into this revolutionary period. Largely by Germans or yeah, largely by Germans and Scots Irish. The Scots Irish were the biggest group here and they held most of the political power during the revolutionary period.
0: Where did the people from this community where did they get their trade goods from?
1: Primarily we traded between uh as as far north as pennsylvania and we often use charleston as a main port we hardly ever would trade east and west like to wilmington or newburn which are north carolina ports we we primarily look to places like petersburg uh in virginia which is where 85 and interstate 95 come together just like just like today there were major paths back then that came together there and also there were a lot of family ties up in philadelphia uh, Pennsylvania area so we would do a lot of trade that way and it was just so much easier in terms of getting to a port to go to Charleston than it was to try to get to Wilmington or New Bern.
0: So what were the great what were the, the great interstates back then what what where did they travel on?
1: You had the Great Wagon Road and the uh, Great Trading Path which at one time you called them one was the Great Warrior Path that became the Great Wagon Road and the other one was the Great uh, Indian, or you know, now we would say Native American, but Great Indian Trading Path.
0: And it went right through Salisbury?
1: Both of them. They intersected a little bit north of Salisbury, but once they intersected and came together, they went right through Salisbury. Is that a fact? Yep. As a matter of fact, if you, go right, if you cross the Yadkin River, which is very close to where the ancient crossing is, was, uh, Highway 52 and 85 split apart, and that is still roughly the area where sections of the Great Wagon Road and the Great Trading Path split.
0: For those who have listened to my episodes in the past where I've spent uh, a good deal of time down in Camden, South Carolina, Camden stretched across the Great Wagon Road in the middle part of South Carolina, and it comes up this way, and you're saying that just north of here it splits, and one goes to Petersburg, one goes on to Pennsylvania. All right? the way up
1: to Pennsylvania, that's right.
0: That's uh, that's interesting how that, that line of communication stretched and and I would imagine that played a little bit into the politics of this community as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it very much did, uh, largely with the way that Rowan County was settled and uh, the, the people who would come to have power here. Because a lot of the people who are coming here are coming from the back country of Pennsylvania. You know, They're living on the frontier of Pennsylvania. The English sent the Scots-Irish and the Germans to live as a buffer between the Native Americans and French and the English on the coast. So as they move south down the Great Wagon Road through the Shenandoah Valley into Virginia and North Carolina, the uh, kind of I always tell the kids when I'm on a school tour, they come into Salisbury down Highway 29, which is right out here in front of us, and they get to the square. The Germans make a left, go to the eastern part of the county. The Scots irish make a right, go to the western part of the county. And you can still see place names and stuff like that that were recorded back then, the families are still in the same areas even to this day so
0: the character of the people that uh, were here during that time or settled here in that time how did that play into the the rowan resolves well
1: that one gets a little bit complicated okay and <laughs> we got uh, to me to start the story of the rowan resolves you got to go back to the end of the french and indian war the rowan county militia and a lot of different uh, you know southern colonies all over we, we, we all sent men to fight in the French and Indian War. People like Daniel Boone who at that time was living just north of Salisbury they heard about places like Kentucky and the Ohio valleys and stuff like that while they were there they thought that at the end of the war they would be rewarded for their service with land to the west of the mountains well, at the end of the war, one of the biggest things that is negotiated between the British and Native Americans to end the war is the proclamation line of 1763. And that trapped, and I put trapped in quotation marks, the colonists to the east of the Appalachian Mountains. They couldn't cross it. And that that was a, a big slap to people down this way and whenever i look at the rowan resolves one of the questions that i ask myself is why would people in rowan county care about what's happening in somewhere like boston because they were a direct result of a they were a direct response to the intolerable acts of 1774 which was a british response to the boston tea party of december 1773 and the one thing that keeps coming to my mind about it is because People here saw that if British power was weakened in the colonies, they could move further west. I, you have a lot of land speculators living in this area. Daniel Boone's one of them. The great General uh, Griffith Rutherford, who's you know, he, his name's an Indian fighter as well. Um, my ancestors, Michael Brown, uh, George Henry Berger, who's one of the signers of the document. A lot of these men are land speculators. They want to speculate in land going west of the atmosphere. <laughs> So after the French and Indian War, those guys come back home and, you know, they they are still speculating in as much land as they can here. Um, And that causes even more issues because land here, it starts to get owned by individuals. And there's a religious aspect to this thing, too, because the Scots-Irish are largely Presbyterian. And they have control in Salisbury. It's one of the only places where they actually have control. The last thing they want to do is allow the Episcopal or the Anglican Church to come in and have a rectory here and start collecting a vestry tax and things like that. So they actually, the Presbyterians here take over the Anglican Church. They are elected vestrymen. They're not Church of England members, but they are elected vestrymen because there's so many of them. They take over the Anglican Church and they kick them out. Tell, tell me a little bit about the vestry tax. What What is that? Well, basically what it was, and it's real, you know, trying to make it as simple as I can. Um, it was a tax that when you got married and any other religious uh, ceremony type thing, you had to go and pay it to the church, and that helped to keep the minister up. And there were times the ministers who had to come to Rowan County by that were forced to by the Anglican Church, they hated it because they, they couldn't even make enough to eat. They had to rely off of charity. Uh, they, they fared much better in South Carolina. Matter of fact, they loved going to South Carolina versus anywhere in North Carolina because people down there would actually pay the tax.
0: So would you not, if you got married uh, and you were not married by the, or recognized by the Anglican Church, were you
1: recognized as being married? You were not officially recognized as being married, no. There are no marriage certificates for most of my ancestors in Rowan County. Is that right? Yes. Uh, you don't. We don't really start recording marriages until well into the 1800s. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And you, you also have these other groups who are here, other religious groups that are here. You have the Moravians at Winston Salem. Uh, you have Baptists who are largely living in the area that is now around, uh, in between uh, Lexington and Greensboro, North Carolina, which at that time was a part of Rowan County, but is no longer. You also had Quakers living around Greensboro that were a part of North Carolina. And the Scots-Irish, they had so much power in Salisbury, they wanted to hold on to that. And so they would not allow Baptists, Quakers, or Moravians to come and settle on the south side of the Atkin River. Uh, there, There really are no congregations during the colonial period on this side. And a lot of that was to try to keep this power over the courthouse, over what happened in Rowan County. Now, they got to control what happened in these other areas where these people lived, but they had this control here. Um, this led to what's called the War of the Regulation, and that's a very complicated topic that is definitely another podcast, that's for sure, um, but there, there were land deals going on during this time that were getting very complicated. You had this religious issue and it actually comes to a battle in 1771 in Alamance, North Carolina, near Burlington. And uh, it's between the regulators and the anti-regulators. These were neighbors, uh, and it was all based off of the militia of the county. Um, the Rowan militia was involved in this, and largely the people who were anti-regulation were the Scots-Irish, the people who had the power. The people who were pro-regulation were the people who were in these disenfranchised groups. The, 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 uh, the Quakers were actually a part of it, although they didn't fight. Uh, the Baptists were a huge part of it. Herman Husband and uh, other... Well, Herman Husband was a Quaker, uh, but the other, Redknapp Howell and people like that, they are part of the Baptist movement. Um, the reason why the War of Regulation is important is because you have this actual battle in the backcountry of North Carolina, in between neighbors... Right on the edge of the American Revolution. This battle, we have barely started to really get to understand. 2003, there was a really good book called Breaking Loose Together that was written. It was written by Marjolyn Cars. It really started to get people looking back into this to see what was going on, and it started to change our understanding of what the revolution actually meant in Rowan County. One interesting thing every man who signed the Rowan Resolves was an anti-regulation movement member.
0: What I gather in our previous conversations, you were saying that a lot of these anti-regulator people, they reached out and tried to bring these other people into the fold.
1: And that's actually very important when it comes to the Rowan Resolves. And that that point that you also rose about uh, representation, you know, not having representation, taxation without representation is also important because in 1771, the regulator movement in North Carolina comes to an actual battle. Uh, the two sides meet. Uh, the colonial governor marches out the North Carolina militia from largely from the east. Uh, General Caswell, who becomes the leader of the American forces in North Carolina right. during the Revolution and uh, the first North Carolina governor, state governor, um, he is actually the leader of the North Carolina militia against the regulation at at, at uh, Alamance, where they're going to fight. And there's a lot of that. and In Rowan County uh, you have the the power brokers are anti-regulation because they're the ones who are making the rules, you know, and they want to continue doing that. So whenever you start to move towards the Rowan Resolves, you know, 1771, uh, you have all this stuff going on in Boston and across the colonies um, in these issues. And you have people in Rowan County who want to settle across the proclamation line. So... You know, whenever I ask myself, why in the world would people in Rowan County care about what's going on in Boston enough to write a document, you know, just with these things, citing common cause, you have to kind of think of who the true audience of this document is. All right, it's being written by people who are anti regulators, who are land speculators, who want to move across the mountains. And, you know, weaken colonial authority enough to where they can do that and speculate in land. So what they have to do is they have to get the get their numbers up and they have to appeal to the people who live across or, you know, across the Yadkin River from them, who they have been putting down for the last, you know, 10, 15 years in terms of not allowing them to have land and things like that. Right. And so. That is really the way that the this document is written, which is very interesting. Um, it's, it's addressed to King George the Third because most colonial assemblies like this thought that if you wanted to get a get, get something done, Parliament was the last place you wanted to send it. So if you could get King George the Third's attention and he could put his finger on the scale for you, you could get something. But it seems to really be written to those people who you know are on the fence about, hey, we just came to blows with you. Why should I support this new movement that you're trying to push? Um, So the Rowan Resolves are written August 8, 1774, and they are in response to the Intolerable Acts in Boston. Uh, And, you know, that was in response to the Boston Tea Party of 1773. Of course, it took time for all the news and stuff like that to get around. And whenever that came down here to Rowan County, that immediately – made the people here very angry and um, hearing these things about you know what was being put on Boston uh, by the Parliament so you know not to let a good crisis go to waste I guess you could say uh, the the anti-regulation leaders the the people who run the courthouse here they get together and they write up this document and of course like I say it starts off it is addressing King George the third so they're they're pleading to the king for help to uh, get representation here in North Carolina and taxation, local taxation.
0: I think it's important for our listeners to know this is one of the uh, first documents of this kind to come out. Yes,
1: yes it is. It's, It's very early and actually it, if I'm not mistaken, it does call for a assembly to be made from the colonies to meet together like that. It's one of the early ones to do that. It's not the first, but it is an early one. And um, it, it it reads very much like other ones that will come behind it. I see. In terms of uh, you know the right to impose taxes on the colonists lies within the General Assembly of the province, not the legislature in England. They proclaim that the cause of the town of Boston is the common cause of all the colonies, and they they want that firmly indissoluble union and association. That There it is. That's what they're saying. That to oppose the infringement upon the rights and privileges in the colonies. So that's what they're looking for is that firmly... So they are
0: locking arms with the patriots in Boston at this point. Yes, so definitely. It's interesting.
1: Definitely. And there's also things like uh, a call not to import British goods into the colonies. Now, Rowan County, where we are versus where the coast is, that's a good distance, right? right? So, you know, importing British goods into Rowan County, we, we definitely got them. Salisbury was the metropolitan center of the frontier at that time. But, yeah, that, that one is more of a, uh, I guess, a common cause style thing than something that they could necessarily really put their finger on. Um, one of the most interesting things, and this really, I believe, points towards, hey, anti or regulators, we want you on our side, There is a clause in here that says they object to the African slave trade. Now, a lot of people read that, and the first time I read it, I was like, wow, okay, this is an abolitionist statement coming from Rowan, you know, a a slave state in 1774. But you have to keep reading after that. Because they want to stop the slave trade because it prevents manufacturers and other useful immigrants. From settling in the colonies, so in other words, it's a protectionist thing for white uh, labor, and they don't want free slave labor to be supplanting white wage labor, and that that is a olive branch out towards these people who they've been fighting. Right. A lot of them were very poor, uh-huh. and they had you know they didn't have land and all this kind of stuff. They didn't have many rights, so hey.
0: So we'll say economic politics at its core. Exactly.
1: Right Populism, I believe, is what you yeah. could say almost. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they encourage things like the raising of, sh- of sheep, hemp, and flax so that they can make their own clothes and things like that. Now, in this area, you know, we largely were making our own clothes, but, hey, they're, they're trying to push this to a larger platform. Um, they actually appoint uh, the three representatives of Rowan County to go to any type of uh, representative body. And one of those, William Kennan, comes up in the the Revolution as kind of a lightning rod figure. He actually helps write either the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence or the Mecklenburg Resolves, depending on which side of that argument you fall on. I see. And um, he also, I said with that land thing, he is heavily involved with trying to confiscate land in Rowan County from loyalists or people that he perceives to be loyalists Um, and probably the last thing in here that's this really important kind of cool they don't want to trade with any colony that refuses to join this union so join or die right the flag you know yeah and um, they they really are pushing to uh, try to create this union and this this document I'm not going to say that it works, and I'm not going to say it doesn't work, because it really does seem like the regulators, they fall in on either side, depending on what their current situation is at the time that something's going on in North Carolina.
0: I think we, we've we seen in some of my previous episodes where uh, even in the midst of the battles, like Kings Mountain, for instance, you had the week before, two weeks before, some of the people fighting for the British were actually fighting for the Patriots. So it it's... Uh, you know, there's a lot of conscription going on on both sides. Got- very,
1: very fluid, I think you <laughs> could say. Yeah, very fluid. And that you see that uh, really when it comes to the war, sometimes it's right down in families. And I, I'm sure you've covered that in other episodes as well, just how families are torn apart. One of those is Daniel Boone's own family. Uh, his wife uh, was a Brian. And towards Winston-Salem, which was then part of Rowan County, um, the, uh, the Bryan family had a big settlement up there, and one of the patriarchs of the Bryans up there became the big loyalist leader in this really? area. And Daniel Boone was a kind – of, he tried to kind of stay neutral, and in 1775 he hopped across the mountains into Kentucky to get away from a lot of what was going on. And right. he took a lot of those people with him to try to get away from it. And, I mean, you know, I don't think it's any uh, – coincidence that this document is written in 1774 and you have Daniel Boone going across the mountains in 1775 to do his land speculating and opening up everything out that way.
0: Isn't that interesting? Now I know he did fight for the the patriot cause in Kentucky when he was there. He did. Uh, And you know he had some he won some and lost some over there against the Indians uh, uh, but uh, that is an interesting twist. I, well, it, and there again, he's
1: he's largely fighting the Native Americans, right? You know, he, right. he's he's looking to open up that land. That's right. That, that's really what they're wanting to do. And he
0: was a speculator as well. Exactly. Although after the war, he realized a lot of his speculation, a lot of his paperwork didn't measure up. But the yeah. th-
1: the Transylvania Company was headquartered here, out of Salisbury, and that they're the ones who hired him to go. And there was a big mess with that whenever uh, exactly. after the war and. Yeah, I think it almost came to a war between the company and the colony in North Carolina. I
0: was thinking as I was coming up here, thinking about this episode, Salisbury could literally be termed uh, the gateway to
1: the west in North Carolina. It yeah. it Greensboro has taken over that name because of the railroad. Right. But in terms of wagons, wagon movement, right? Um, it, Salisbury very much is. Daniel Boone, he leads one of the first great wagon trains west in, over the mountains into Kentucky and starts that whole migration that way. And, of course, some people say one reason why he did it is because he owed so much money to a sure. store that's about two blocks away. Is that right? <laughs> and he, he never came back to pay. Oh, that so, is interesting. That yeah. is interesting. So of the signers of
0: these Rowan Resolves and what we find in the Camden Resolves, if you go down the list of those who signed the Camden Resolves, you find that they didn't just uh, write this stuff out and walk away. They actually put deed to word in in many respects. So uh, so the signers of the Roan Resolves. Tell me a little bit about them.
1: Well, we do have some militia commanders in here. We have Matthew Locke, who uh, leads the Roan contingent of Roan militia. His brother Francis is not on here. Uh, Francis Locke was actually commanding the uh, Roan militia when Cornwallis came into Charlotte. I see. And, and he his men were in Charlotte fighting back. uh, Against Cornwallis, whenever he was there, one of my ancestors, George Henry Berger, who was a German, he signed off and he became a lieutenant underneath uh, Griffith Rutherford in the uh, Roan militia. I see. And um, there's quite a few others who became if they if they weren't uh, actually fighting, they were somewhere involved in patriot government. So yeah, that, these these guys they become the Committee of Safety. They, and they are the ones who are repeatedly tapped to uh be leaders and you know lead men make decisions and things like that, so yeah, their necks are actually out there on the line they They are definitely the founders of our areas of our nation, but they had these uh personal motivations that they were that that were they were definitely going after so
0: when we talk about history and you start digging deep enough you find the humanness in everything so exactly uh, what, but what an interesting story uh at the founding of our nation where liberty literally was in the balance uh, and it could have gone either way and uh we find that Salisbury was was at the uh the start of it all and was actually a catalyst in many respects to to the outcome of the southern campaign especially but in the in the war of independence as a whole
1: yeah well, I, I always like to tell people if the Yadkin River had flooded just a little bit earlier, Guilford Courthouse could have happened on right outside Salisbury, and Green would have had nowhere to run because Cornwallis was right on his heels as they were coming through. If, you,
0: if you're a believing person, that's Providence shining its light upon this nation. So, uh, But thank you so much, Aaron, and uh, we look forward to uh, any other episodes that you're able
1: to give us. Well, I appreciate thank you having me on. All right. Thank you.